Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is a special Sunday edition of The Daily 202 from Des Moines. The Democratic presidential candidates returned to Iowa in full force yesterday, using a brief break from impeachment proceedings to rally supporters ahead of tomorrow's caucuses with renewed pitches to an electorate that remains highly skittish and deeply undecided. Joe Biden used his closing argument to present himself as the safest choice for voters worried most about finding a nominee who can defeat President Trump. Elizabeth Warren, who, like other senators in the race, has been stuck in Washington for jury duty, made an explicit appeal to women and pitched herself as the one who can, as the signs behind her said, unite the party. Pete Buttigieg's campaign tried to rally the party behind his call for generational change, while Bernie Sanders, using weekend concerts and rallies, sought to mobilize what many strategists here consider to be the most dedicated army of supporters. Several of the candidates played to overflow crowds, a contrast to earlier in the week when the absence of the senators damped the energy normally associated with the final days. Virtually every campaign has come to predict privately that Sanders could turn out more people on Monday night than any other candidate. Due to the arcane rules of the Iowa caucus system, though, his rivals hope they can overcome that advantage when the final delegate counts are tallied. In an interview with my colleague Dan Balls, Biden said, quote, I think it's going to be a cluster. It'll be relatively close, you know, probably three of us that are fairly close. Biden and Sanders have been at the top of most polls in Iowa this month, but Democrats hoping for more clarity got an unwelcome surprise last night when the Des Moines Register and CNN decided not to announce the results of their always much-anticipated final Iowa poll. That poll's long been considered the most reliable pre-caucus snapshot. The decision which added to the chaos and uncertainty in these final days came after the Buttigieg campaign alerted those overseeing the poll that his name had been left off the list of candidates read by one of the interviewers. Apparently, it's because that interviewer decided to change the font size on their computer screen, pushing Buttigieg's name to a place where they couldn't see it. With Sanders appearing to surge ahead in recent weeks, all of his rivals, including Biden, have been eagerly working to manage expectations. Some close to Warren are saying privately that the fight's now for a second-place finish. Those in Buttigieg's camp say they believe finishing ahead of Biden would be the springboard they need for future contests, both to build support and to reload their campaign war chest. The hunger to defeat Trump and the likelihood the Senate will vote to acquit him this week has had the effect of leaving many voters immobilized, creating an unusually large undecided pool and injecting more than the usual uncertainty over how the final day will play out. Among the overriding questions still hovering at the start of what could be a really long fight for the nomination is whether that continued indecision will dampen participation on Monday night. Earlier predictions for record turnout have been scaled back somewhat in the past few weeks. The caucuses tomorrow will be the culmination of more than a year of campaigning and a steady churn of candidates entering and exiting. Collectively, the Democratic campaigns have spent $70 million on TV ads here in Iowa. When they're done, Iowans will have played their traditional role of stress testing and winnowing what had been a historically large and diverse field. While the party over the past three years has struggled to answer a basic question, how do you beat Trump? The results here will offer the first moment of clarity. It's a test of whether the party wants to move forward toward candidates preaching bold and unsettled change that would bring a democratic revolution to counter Trump's or whether the party wants a more traditional, return-to-normalcy nominee who could run on more kitchen-table, less controversial issues. In what is the starting gun for a sprint toward contests that will grow more and more costly, 
and with Mike Bloomberg pouring hundreds of millions of dollars of his own money into the race, several campaigns are in dire need of a win that could fuel donations into campaign accounts that have dwindled. The contest has been largely free of the kind of negative campaigning that has marked other years, but that hasn't eliminated sniping. Top advisors to Buttigieg yesterday morning invited reporters to a breakfast where they went after Biden hard, suggesting that his long career in Washington is a detriment to the party's ability to defeat Trump if the former vice president wins the nomination. At that breakfast, Buttigieg campaign manager Mike Schmuel pointed out that since World War II, the Democratic Party has nominated three vice presidents, and they've all lost. Warren has a prized organization here in Iowa, along with several late sought-after endorsements. But she's also fallen in recent polls as others have cut into different parts of her base. She's competing with Buttigieg for college-educated voters, with Sanders for liberal voters, and with Amy Klobuchar for voters eager to see a woman as the nominee. Ahead of Warren's event yesterday in Iowa City, a group of elected officials tried to lead the crowd in a chant that, quote, it's time for a woman in the White House. Klobuchar has cast herself as a not-too-hot, not-too-cold candidate who can appeal to a wide swath of the party. She doesn't emphasize as much as Warren does that she would be the first woman president. But what's unknown is whether the fact that she, along with Warren and Sanders, had to be in Washington during the final weeks of campaigning has hindered her ability to capitalize on the fresh look that many were giving her. Entrepreneur Andrew Yang and businessman Tom Steyer have each averaged around 4% in the polls, which would put them below the 15% viability threshold. But their supporters still could play a significant role in determining the night's final outcome if they switch to another candidate on the second tally. Those who don't get 15% can free up their supporters to go vote for someone else. With concern bubbling among establishment Democrats over whether Iowa could launch Sanders forward with momentum, the party was caught up yesterday in another replay of the 2016 tensions between Sanders and Hillary Clinton. After Clinton again criticized Sanders, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, a top Sanders surrogate and a member of the squad, urged a crowd at a Sanders rally to boo Clinton. But in yet another sign of the skittishness of most campaigns to get into a bitter brawl, Tlaib then apologized on Saturday and Sanders emphasized during his rallies that he will support whoever the nominee is. Sanders' top campaign advisors tell us that they've identified as many supporters who are committed to coming to caucus for Bernie tomorrow in a crowded field with at least five competitive candidates as came out to caucus for him in 2016, when it was essentially a two-person race against Clinton. They're banking on a large turnout among young voters and those who typically don't participate in local politics. For her part, Warren grew a bit nostalgic as she returned to Iowa, reminiscing about all her previous trips and the voters that she met along the way. Unlike past campaign stops, in a first, Warren did not stick around for a photo line. Instead, she left her dog Bailey behind to appear in pictures with supporters. Bailey the dog was staffed by her son. For Biden, the caucuses are the first major test of whether his claims of electability will draw voters to his candidacy. While his events can really feel lethargic, to put it mildly, and with crowds smaller than for other candidates, Biden campaign advisors are banking on the goodwill they say he's built up over five decades in the public arena. Biden's campaign organization has also been a frequent topic among Iowa operatives and county chairs who say it has lacked the kind of vigor needed in a caucus system that rewards passion and organization more than it does widespread but thinner support. The coalition Biden's trying to assemble includes voters over age 50, blue-collar households, veterans, African-Americans, Latinos, and Catholics. He's making a big push for Catholics. Biden's campaign is running specific programs focused on each group. 
based on lists developed from voter files, property tax rolls, and other sources. Because many people no longer answer their telephones unless they recognize the caller's number, the campaign has put extra emphasis on sending volunteers and paid canvassers to people's homes. The decision to hire paid canvassers, offering 20 bucks an hour for the last two weeks, raised eyebrows among some of Biden's rivals, who took it as a sign of weakness in his organization. But Biden campaign officials say they believe the additional help has allowed them to get into as many neighborhoods as possible during days of inclement weather. Tomorrow night's weather is expected to be brisk with no snow in the forecast, but it remains to be seen if turnout will be historically high. While some still predict it could match or exceed the 240,000 who turned out in 2008 for the Barack Obama-Hillary Clinton brawl, others say it's likely to fall between that number and the 171,000 who voted in 2016. Just who exactly would benefit from a low turnout is a matter of intense debate in the lobby bar at the Des Moines Marriott, where all the operatives, reporters, and assorted hangers-on gather. Biden's candidacy tends to attract traditional caucus-goers who might have the added incentive to participate this year because of their desire to defeat Trump in November. But a lower turnout could give the advantage to candidates who have attracted newcomers, such as Sanders, or who are generating real enthusiasm at rallies. The campaigns have been preparing for what could be a confusing night of potentially conflicting results and multiple candidates seeking to shape a public impression that they scored a symbolic victory, if not a numerical one. For several candidates, particularly Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and Warren, a bad finish would be devastating. It would also begin to clarify the question of whether the campaign is headed toward a long, divisive slog all the way to Milwaukee in July, or whether it could conclude more swiftly. The candidates will quickly head to New Hampshire tomorrow night, where they will have an eight-day sprint till that primary, including a debate this coming Friday night. Biden, amid growing concerns that he's having more difficulty raising money than he's let on, has only bought or reserved $215,000 in airtime in New Hampshire. That's a very small number. It puts him at a fraction of all his major rivals. Biden's allies are hoping a strong showing in Iowa will trigger a rush of donations. But even then, there's some debate over how heavily he'll focus on a state that Sanders carried handily four years ago and that neighbors Warren's home state of Massachusetts. There have been private deliberations among those leading Biden's super PAC over how heavily to concentrate on New Hampshire and whether to instead pour resources into Nevada, the next state on the calendar. But any decision is dependent on what happens here tomorrow night. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. If you want to hear full episodes, find The Daily 202 every weekday morning wherever you get your podcasts. 